Welcome to the Work Joy Jam podcast. In this episode, I am joined by the fantastic Dr. Kate Goodger. Kate is a trained psychologist. She's a sports psychologist. She's worked with numerous uh, Olympic teams through summer and winter games to help people get their best performance. And what a great person to have on to think about how do we get our best performance in what we're trying to do around joy and joy in our working lives. Kate and I have a really interesting discussion which comes around to this theme of sometimes we need to hit pause, we need to think about what we're doing, we need to make sure that we're working with our logical brain, with the things that actually make sense, with the things that are actually true versus some of the stories that we make up for ourselves. I always find every conversation I have with Kate fascinating. She's such a great thinker and explains some really complicated, complex psychological things in, for me, really easy to understand nuggets of great, great advice. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Work Joy Jam podcast. In today's episode, we have a fantastic Kate Goodger with us and I am now going to hand over to Kate to introduce herself and to tell us her story so far. Kate, over to you. Hi Beth, um, thanks for the invitation to be in the session today. I'm really excited uh, to be able to have a natter with you. Um, by way of background, um, about a thousand years ago, I started life as a PE teacher. Um, I had two real passions, which was sport and helping people. Um, and that was in secondary schools and certainly teenagers are a baptism of fire in terms of, of working with them and getting them engaged. Um, and during that time, I've, I've had my second kind of passion, which was really around learning and, and using that learning to help individuals. So I did my master's back at Loughborough. Um, and as a, a PE person, one of the things I was really fascinated was the psychology of, of people and performance. So a, a long version of that short is that I ended up um, then taking on a PhD back at Loughborough um, while teaching at the same time. And it was a wonderful blend of being able to use my passion with teaching but also being able to under, understand how do people get the very best out of themselves? What are the things that get in the way? How might we challenge ourselves? Um, and in about 2002, I started to work with elite athletes. Um, that was partly because I wanted to get my license, but also to help pay the rent at the time. Um, and since then, I've, I've expanded uh, my experience and career and uh, very fortunately have worked with Team GB now at seven different Olympics, Summer Winter Games, um, which has been incredible. And more latterly, as I've had my own family and wanted to travel less, the transference of that kind of performance thinking and the psychology of performance to other areas of life and other sectors. So that's included medicine and healthcare, armed services, um, businesses, and then more recently working alongside you in the DNI space. Um, so that's been the, the journey to this point. It's fantastic to hear that, Kate, and your career is really interesting and to how you've taken your passions and expanded them and thought about them and obviously gone really deep into them with a PhD and obviously that makes you a doctor, which is very exciting. Um, but also the experience across so many different types of industry from, you know, talking about there from corporate things, but to elite sport and what we can learn from the sporting world. So I'm really interested to dig into that to dig into your thinking and your experience and what you've learned through all of those different uh, experiences and how 
we might be able to look at this from the perspective of getting more joy in your life, more joy in your work um, and taking some of your amazing insight from there. So question for you um, around work joy is when I say something like work joy to you, what is it that you think individuals can do to bring a bit more joy into their working life? Um, good question. Straight off that there, Beth. Diamond. Straight off, just straight in there. Um, what, if I stand back slightly and just, just take what work joy means to me and I guess my, my experience and understanding it, from a, a personal perspective, um, as I highlighted a bit in my story, having that sense of passion and purpose has always been critical in, in helping me feel satisfied in work, happy in work joyous in work confident in work if I wasn't doing something that helped to serve a purpose for me or ignited some of my passions that those were the hard days so I think that you've hit upon something that's really important that there are so many structures and features of work that can make it joyless that can make it mundane and just hard work and we don't always work with people that we get along with uh, well so that, that concept of work joy, I think, is really a powerful one. And if I take it into deliberately the world of, of elite sports, we might not necessarily think about it being you know, either hugely important or, or where does it fit into that. But thinking about athletes that I've worked with that have been the most successful, and that's not necessarily being medalists. Sometimes it's you know being the best competitor they possibly could be, but they just weren't good enough to deliver a, a medal. But it's that level of satisfaction and personal accomplishment that they felt at the end of it. Sometimes that was a medal, sometimes not. But those individuals, a distinguishing feature for them was the the love of their sport and the love for what they did and the joy that they found around it. Difficulties came for other athletes. And, and my PhD was actually in the opposite of work joy. It was in burnout. Um, and for those individuals that were really struggling in sport, it was often that sport had become joyless for them. They'd fallen mm. out of love with the thing, um, often got to the point of resenting what they were doing. Their passion had become a job and a day job. Um, so uh, I think work joy is really important for any individual. And for me, it really comes down fundamentally to those things around passion and purpose. And, and every career, every profession people take on, it's, it's an you know, integral ingredient. But I don't think we're spending enough time thinking about it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting you talking about that and that idea of passion and purpose, which comes up so much in many, many conversations that I've been having with people about work joy on the podcast, beyond the podcast, in the coaching program around sometimes. And this might be interesting talking about where you find that people had the burnout sometimes people found that what was their passion 10, 15 years ago or what they thought their passion would be when they trained for it it changes over time. And we don't always spend enough time thinking about actually, what's my passion now? What is my purpose now? And how, how has that changed? And almost we get on the career roller coaster that, that takes us in one direction. It might not be the direction that we're really looking for anymore. Yeah, absolutely, Beth. And the kind of original work that was done around burnout was exactly that, that people often entered into something that they were really lit up about. There had to kind of be a spark almost in order for somebody to then burn out. And this was work that was typically done on volunteers that were working in um, drug addiction units and, and that kind of sector. 
And for those individuals, you know, almost their passions became the bit that that forced them to become disillusioned in the end. So I I think you're right that we get into routines and habits and patterns of working and and we stop taking that, um, you know, that check in on ourselves and, and how we're doing and sometimes make unhelpful assumptions that if we go down a particular path, then we'll be happy kind of when we get there, when we've achieved this or we've stepped up or we've done this new particular project, as opposed to just bringing it more into the moment, into the now and what really matters. And am I living the life I want to? And actually, where is the joy in my life? I'm really interested about this, you know, the idea that we, we follow that path and we're hoping that somehow magically at the end of the path, wherever that may be, comes this idea that you'll be happy if you so I imagine and tell me if I'm wrong here so for in the in the elite sporting world there could be I will be happy if I win the medal I will be happy if I do this if I manage to make this race or this time or this something actually I think for work joy and for the people I've spoken to about work joy is the joy is often in the daily small little things versus the big outcome at the end yet a lot of things in work are pushing towards a big outcome versus reflecting on what's good right now. I think there's a, there's a few different levels there um, in what you're picking up, Beth. I, th- I think as part of the realities of work, there are some things, as we said earlier, that are just less joyful than others, that are mundane, that are part of the territory. They simply are aspects of work. And I guess what we can do sometimes is, is get really frustrated about those things um, and get really upset by them when they are just a fact, they're a, a matter of course. So previously it might've been the commute to work and people would moan and complain about that commute to work. Um, but that that was the choice that they'd made to, to undertake that particular job. And they, they may have had to take that job because there weren't other options, but we can get into a habit where we're resenting things that are simply part of the territory of, of needing to go to work, which is slightly separate from what is then our responsibility. And in terms of, of our responsibility, this is more the internal stuff. I think there's a couple of different important features there. And, and this was shown to me probably about 10 years ago by one of my mentors. And we were talking about the concept of happiness. Um, and it's the idea that you can, there's happiness through being and there's happiness through having. And what we tend to do is get the balance wrong between those. So the balance mm. in terms of, of having is more um, if I have this job or if I have that particular um, you know, possession uh, or if I achieve this, then I'll be happy. So we can often allow our pleasure, our happiness, our joy to be contingent upon something. And that sometimes leads to unhelpful expectations for us. Whereas being happy is about how you see yourself. It's about being comfortable in your own skin. It's knowing what you really stand for, what values matter to you. And it's back to that purpose part. So I think when we're thinking about joy, there's a piece here, which is the recognition and awareness of sometimes it just sucks because it is work and it's that's life. But actually what we can do more proactively is how we're taking care of ourselves and that balance between being happy and doing the things that nourish us versus the idea of having. If I have these things, then I'll be happy. Um, but we tend not to be richer as a consequence of the have part. The emphasis and the work needs to be on taking time consciously to reflect on the being. And, and that's to your point that we change. Life changes. We go through different stages of life and reconnecting, rechecking in with 
that side of us is, is really critical. And again, athletes that had been through multiple Olympic cycles and had grown up and matured through their sport, there was a constant need to recheck that. Who were they? What was their identity? Um, not just as an athlete, but becoming a parent or being a partner to somebody else. There are so many things I want to pick up on from what you just said. I've made some notes and scribbled and highlighted things. So I'm going to pick up on a few as we go through. I'm way too much. Not <laughs> across Beth and just tell me to. No, no, I was loving it all. I was so deeply into it. that I was like, I need to come back to this so that I don't lose it. Um, the first one I, I, I've made a big highlight and squiggled around is the fact that we make choices. And I think we make more choices than we are often aware of. And even if those choices are hard choices, and they might be the choice you wanted to make. They are inevitably at some point our choice. So you mentioned there, like somebody who's ha- taken a job that requires a commute and you might not like the commute, but it's just part of the territory of work. And one of the things we talk about a lot in the work joy theory of life is in every job, whatever you do, even if you are working in your completely purpose, passion filled for yourself in whatever context however you know you might look to people and go oh they've got it nailed is there is still stuff in their working life that they find annoying and frustrating yeah it's it's not it I don't think work will ever be 100% joyous happy it's just not like that and it's for me it's more around how do we understand the choices that we've made and whether they were the right choices and reflect on them but also to be okay that the fact that it's not 100% all the time it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to say you don't like something about your job. It's about, is there more that you do like than you don't like? Is there, have you actually thought about all the good things that happen in a day? Or are you focusing? And I might come to the psychology of this in a moment, if you don't mind. Yeah. Are you spending your time thinking, reflecting on the things that have brought you joy during a day or during a week or during a month? Or, or are you focusing on the one thing that annoys you and spending all your brain power on the frustration or the annoyance versus yeah. the happy? Can I can I add just a couple of things to what you said that you, that word choice that you've picked up on that that's so so important because when we are experiencing the unhelpful emotions like anxiety, stress, frustration, often those are related to whether we feel like we're in control of something, whether we feel like we've got options, whether we feel like we have choice. So we we always have choices um you know, victor frankel in his book the meaning of life talks about that that's one of our fundamental features that we have when we appear to have nothing else and, you know writing as a psychiatrist in auschwitz that we have a choice of, of how we want to respond to a situation that internal choice is something that we have it doesn't mean as you said choices are easy but holding on to that one simple concept that you do have choice and that when you're thinking about that choice, the next simple question is, well, what's the consequence of these choices? So a choice can be to do nothing or a choice might be to act. What's the consequence and can you live with that particular consequence? So that word choice is incredibly empowering to people. And then the other part that I really picked up on what you talked about is the reality is not all of work is going to be great 100% of the time. Life isn't like that. We are naive if we think that we have to work actively to find joy and to accept you know the the bad days and and the good days um in equal measure but fundamental to that i think is also the concept of acceptance so acceptance isn't passive roll over give up acceptance is recognizing the things that you can change and things that you can't the things that really matter right now and the things you just need to put in a bucket and not waste energy on 
Um, it's the acceptance of stuff that's hard and you might need to work through and the acceptance of emotion that you're sitting with. And emotion is just our mind saying, hey, pay attention. I've got some stuff I want you to deal with here. So that, that concept of acceptance, I think, is equally powerful alongside um, choice to enable people to have that joy. So there are simple concepts that we can rely on and practice every day. And the, and the emphasis really is on the idea of practice to so identify the choices and practice making those choices and considering the consequences, but then also practicing that skill of acceptance of being in the moment right now. What is happening for me? What can I change? What can't I? Where should I put my energy? Where am I just losing energy or wasting it? I'm going to stick it in the bucket right now. Yeah, I love that. And the, the idea of acceptance and and understanding what choices you make. And I, I just sit here and think that I like to have what I call a mo no moan zone around me. That is, if I'm going to moan about something, but not do anything about it, I am wasting my energy and probably the energy of people around me because moaning has apart from making you feel good for about five minutes when you get it off your chest, it doesn't really do anything. So one of the practices that I like to have is if I'm moaning about something, I have to make a choice to either act on it or put it away yeah, and let it go. And sometimes that's really hard because you sometimes don't want to let it go. But if you can't change it, if it's something that just cannot be changed, if you don't have influence over it, if you can't make it happen, the person whose energy you're wasting is actually yourself. Yeah. And you could be putting that energy from moaning into like really good use, finding something else or finding something different to do that might have more joy within it. A few a few years back, um, when I started working more in the corporate world, I did work in education and schools. Um, and with a set of teachers, we kind of developed this um, principle, which was about the tantrum mat, which is exactly what you've <laughs> described. And there's part of our brain that brings this emotion out, sometimes kind of raw, really powerful emotion, sometimes quite toxic internally, and then we ended up spraying it everywhere else and on other people. But it's when you've got that real frustration where somebody has, has behaved inappropriately, you know, in, in the, the staff room, or you've got more work to do and you, it seems endless that you've got this, this expansive emotion that comes. But effectively, what part of your brain does is just makes you go and sit on this tantrum mat. And you're sat there and you're just circling around the problem and you're just feeding the problem and feeding that emotion and nothing is actually changing. You're not making any difference to this circumstance at all, which goes to your point that you want to move from being problem focused and absorbed and sometimes to be really harsh playing victim mode with that. But other times just sitting with this emotion and not doing anything with it. You want to move from being problem focused to solution focused which isn't about having the magic answer but it is about developing a plan what's the first simple thing that you could do to help move yourself forward so whether that is sometimes you know somebody that's upset you writing the draft email of what you really want to say to that person write it out fully don't do any edits write it out but then put it in draft do not hit send <laughs> put it in the draft box and the next day go back and read it and what still matters what's still really really important to you and just by slowing our system down and doing a one practical thing like writing out or developing a written plan or talking to a friend to get your, your thoughts more managed. That one simple step begins to move us from being problem absorbed on our tantrum mat, not moving anywhere, to being more solution focused. And that feeds our system, that helps our emotions to go, OK, so you're going to do something about this, right? I can start hitting you with less intense emotions and helps you to move forward the worst thing for us to do is to sit inactive or passive um, and not make choices or decisions 
That's so interesting. And I, I am totally, if you don't mind, going to coin the term tantrum, Matt, and use it because it's a great... Yours. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you. I will quote you every time to say it's such a brilliant way of thinking about it is it is true. We, you know, it, it, those moments where maybe we have made mountains where molehills once stood yes. because it's something that's frustrated us or it's, it's hit a nerve or it's often, I find it's when things go against your values or again, you know, it doesn't seem quite, it doesn't fit quite right. And you want to, you know, shout at someone or tell them they're stupid or do something that, you know, probably isn't the right thing to do. And instead it just goes round and round and round and round and round in your head is that idea that you can take some action, and not be, passive around it to just find something that you can do even if it is I just need to talk to a friend and get it off my chest I just need to you know write that email remember not to send it or have auto send on your emails because that could be what I would call a career limiting move if it's you know to the wrong person um I think there is something about that isn't it, it and then your your something happens in your brain and in your body where suddenly taking some form of action not being a pass passive within it not being in victim mode not being in blame mode but in action mode it kind of and there's you're a psychologist so you will understand what's actually happening in your brain for me it sounds like and it feels like my brain has calmed down a bit and is able to deal with it more rationally than when I'm in my tantrum map mode 100 percent, and, and that's effectively what we want to do is to try and slow our our system so i'm not going to go into to brain anatomy but effectively we are wired still around survival instincts and so and your impulsivity reactivity fight flight freeze they are great mechanisms within our system if you live in the jungle but typically most of us don't and we're not in an environment where we have to be on a high alert mode so simply that part of our system sometimes acts in our best interest but not in a helpful way such as when we react in a meeting if we feel we've been publicly undermined and that reaction could be that we have a strong will with somebody in front of other people which we later regret or it could be that we actually push our emotions down and withdraw you know we feel embarrassed so we actually take our dissatisfaction elsewhere um, and we don't raise the things that, that we should do. So you're right that part of our brain is wired around these emotions. And it's the important thing is to recognize that's how we're built. So don't beat yourself up about it because your emotions are going to be at play and they're a wonderful thing to have. But sometimes they don't give us the response that's most helpful in that circumstance. So, yes, your emotions will do that. But by slowing the sitting down, the system down, hitting pause, taking a breath, sleeping on something going for a walk switching tasks stepping away from the desk all of those things enable our system to slow down the blood flow to slow down and move away from those emotional centers in our brain and allow us to apply logic rational reason but we have to do active things to move us to that more logical place you can't just have a battle of wills you know, this person's really hacked me off, so I'm just going to get cool straight away. Or in this really difficult conversation, I'm suddenly going to be instantly confident. You have to take some active, again, active steps to slow that system down so you can move into that more rational mode. And support and, and other people as a soundboard are critical in that. And we often don't use those enough, I think. So, so true. And I, I just, it, it's making me think about, coming back to your point there about slowing the system down and being able to do that and how much your concept of 
wanting to focus on the being rather than the having requires a bit of a slowdown or requires a bit of reflection it requires a bit of thought whether that's in the moment where you're feeling the emotions or just generally when you're at that kind of neutral place you still need more time to be able to do the being stuff because it takes thinking and you know that side of things versus the having I can go and have that if I do xyz it's very action focused versus reflection and how much uh, and I think one of the greatest reasonings you could call it an excuse you could call it a justification that I hear um from people I work with is I don't have time to yeah yeah and I'm really interested in our I I feel and I might be completely wrong here that we have a very um casual relationship with time in our brains and it's always focused on one thing and that's all about getting stuff done and what we think about is the time right now versus the time invested for the future and in my head it takes way longer to unravel a problem that you've created over a long period of time by doing things quickly than it does to stop and think now to then not create the problems in the future yeah I, I, again I would agree um that that's my experience that, that people will say oh you haven't gotten to that you just don't have enough time um and and there are you know we are in a world of high demand and people are you know managing multiple roles um in, in their day, you know, whether they're a parent, a carer, a professional, um, they want to have an active lifestyle around work, you know, you, you've got those competing demands. So time is always a prized commodity, but I, I think you're accurate in that there's, is it truly a reason or is it sometimes an excuse we make? So I, I think to pick up on a couple of things that you said, um, that around this work on self and the being and having bit, I think like an athlete if an athlete's going to be ready for competition they have to consistently train to be able to maintain the level of fitness they need to be able to to be effective on on the pitch or or in the pool so there's a, a discipline and a regularity to doing that work and we forget that our our mind and our mental capability is the same you have to routinely go to whatever your mental gym is whether that's going out and having a walk with the dog or whether it's having coffee with friends, but you have to do the work on that. You can't just suddenly expect to be cool as a cucumber in stressful situations. There's prep that's needed. There's planning the actual execution of, of you know, whatever you've got to do in performance terms. And then there's the kind of debriefing and reviewing it. And I know that sounds very kind of analytical, but the, the simple practice is taking five minutes of intentional time each day to warm up your system. So be ready for the day ahead. What are the potential triggers? What could be difficult in this day? Set the expectations early and set them reasonably. And then it's five minutes at the end of the day to reflect what worked, what didn't, what was lousy, what was joyful in my day, what was less joy inducing and I don't want to do next time. But it's it's making those efforts. And so often in training sessions that you do with, with different clients is they, they want to solve a bullet and there isn't one. It comes from a consistency and an intentionality on self. So if you are to move more into the balance of being happy versus the having happiness, then it involves that that considered time and that that intentional work on self on on reflection um, and and building that mental capacity for yourself. It's not just fairy dust stuff. It requires practice and consistency. So I'm really interested in this perspective around the idea that people are looking for 
a silver bullet and I find that all the time it's like we want we want the simplest easiest answer that we can do it once and it's there and it's done and therefore we will be happy but that's just not how the world works and it's certainly not how work works and it's certainly not how joy works um so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah focusing spending some time on being happy spending some time on thinking about reflecting I liked your uh, advice of you know spend five minutes in the morning thinking about setting yourself up for the day reflect at the end of the day and actually I'm sure we can all find 10 minutes a day it's when I think it's going to take loads more time than that that it's it's almost impossible but we can right we find 10 minutes a day to watch some telly don't we or do something different yeah. that seems more realistic and I think without Beth but um because we we you know we're into the pattern of uh, as a culture you know new year's resolutions that you have to have this big change in routine and and actually we set ourselves up to do these monumental changes and, and you said it earlier that actually the changes we're talking about in these 10 minutes of reflections we're talking about making a small intentional choice every day but the, the difference in I think in what we're emphasizing it's not about the magnitude of change you're trying to encourage it's about the consistency of that so if you just piloted for a week what does it feel like to prep your day with five minutes while you're in the shower in the morning just running through and people will say oh yeah I always do that well, no, the, the tendency is what we do is we prep the to-do list for the day. And that's not the same thing because the, the to-do list is everything's got to get done. Of course, that's important. But even on your to-do list, are you highlighting the things that are the, the do or die, the top two or three things that need to be done? Because often this list is 30 items and then we feel like we've, we haven't accomplished things. So what are the top things that need to get done? But also what's your plan to do those things and what might disrupt you what might get in the way that's the kind of planning we're talking about there and then it's five minutes at the end of the day it's not necessarily writing a big long journal it's not taking half an hour to reflect it's not having to have a coach to reflect with every week when we make these things big and really effortful then we're more likely to fall down so there isn't a silver bullet but there are small intentional changes and and where you're seeing lifestyle coaching now and you're seeing the likes of a, a joe wicks or some of these diet campaigns you, you can see it's a definite emphasis on less is more because if it's a big effortful change it's so much harder to really make that a habit where if it's a small intentional choice that's done consistently it's much easier for, for us to adopt that and really to ingrain that as a habit definitely and building habits is you know start it try it see if it works and then if it works for you, keep doing it, do it more. I'm interested now, we've kind of got onto the habit thing before we uh, finish off today, is to understand how can we notice when we're in habits that aren't helping us? So I I, I kind of defer, def, define the terms as we have helpful habits, like, you know, if you do do a bit of reflection in the evening, if you do prep your day, if you go for a walk at lunchtime and you always get, you know, your mental gym stuff in, but we also in our heads, and I know I have many of them, have unhelpful habits. And I think they're harder to break the more you work with them and the more you've had them, and the longer you've had them for. And I'd be really interested in your perspective on how can we notice and break and change some of those unhelpful habits. I think a useful starting point uh, with that, Beth, is to identify what we might mean by habit. So there's kind of thinking habits, which can be things like beliefs, attitudes, biases, assumptions that we might make. 
and there are habits which are the kind of doing habits um, you know we have a tendency to repeat certain actions so there are different types of habits um, that we have and, and sometimes it's a thinking thing sometimes it's a feeling habit you know we tend to get the same emotion around a particular person or a particular circumstance or there's an, an action that we have so it's worth differentiating the type of habits and you know a simple way of thinking about it is at the end of the day you know the things that went well the things that went less well just tracking what those things are and practically tracking what, where might there be habits so a simple way of thinking about your habits is has this happened before is mm. it familiar is this new territory did it happen because it was in that moment or could i go actually no it tends to happen on a thursday because i'm shattered and i'm ready for the weekend so it actually starts by tracking and just becoming aware and paying attention and once you begin to isolate what a habit might be so it might be a certain thinking that you have about let's say this the stage of the week uh, we, we had this with um, athletes when we used to do fitness testing and we used to do it on a saturday morning because it was at the end of the week and it was a good way of signing off the week without just logically thinking that's when they were most shattered on the saturday so what we did was actually shifted their testing to a tuesday and we went for a tuesday because even monday you're shaking off your weekend typically and they they function better and perform better on a tuesday so just by tracking when your energy levels for example uh, typically habitually are lower during the week you might then do target something by changing the type of work that you do on that day or how you go about doing the work so tracking the habit helps you to isolate what is the habit that might be unhelpful and what type of habit is it? Is it an, an action-based one, just as I highlighted with the, the athlete? Is it a feeling-based one or is it a thinking-based one? Often one of the um, things that people struggle most to pick out is the kind of thinking more based ones, you know, errors in thinking or unhelpful beliefs. And the best example I would give and the one that I come across most commonly are expectations. And, and those expectations can be of self. So I have to be perfect. I can't say no. I can't fail. Um, I mustn't uh, raise these ideas up to the boss because you don't do these things up. But actually, that, that may be a really purposeful conversation to have with somebody. So there's expectations that we have of ourselves, which sometimes can be incredibly demanding. And we generate our own stress and our own sources of that. And other times are, particularly if we get an emotion like frustration or anger a lot, those expectations then are often ones that we've imposed upon others. So I, I've, I've seen it with uh, couples kind of dating each other. And it, a few months back, I heard a, about a, a parent uh, was talking about their, their young professional daughter that had moved to London and she got this new boyfriend. And this mum was kind of horrified that this guy just ate pizza, whereas the daughter was a complete um, health guru and, and really interested in that and the mum's simple comment was oh don't worry she'll change him you know it will take time but she'll change <laughs> him but it's that idea of imposing our expectations on others and then when other people don't hit our expectations so we again see it commonly where other people might always be late you know to meetings and we get frustrated but that person has always been late to meetings or expectations of others that don't have the same level of detail that we have um, expectations of others around working hours you know some people think it's okay to call at 9 p.m at night but did you set boundaries that actually wasn't the right time for you so when we think about habits it's about tracking you know, hitting pause again reflecting on your day 
what was the good stuff, the joyful stuff that added and those helpful habits you want to continue to amplify maybe. Um, what were some of the unhelpful ones? Start to isolate what was the thinking, what was the feeling and what was the action, so the type of habits that we're looking at and then how you might begin to change that. So if you have an expectation of X person is always going to be late, it's, it's recognising that and you have two choices. You can either get really, really frustrated with that person or you can accept they are going to be late um, and then you work around that but it's recognising it's about the impact that it has on you. If it's not adding value to your life, not adding energy or bringing you joy, then don't hold on to it. You know, shift your perspective, because going back to some of our original conversation here, we talked about choice. So expectations, um, for me, is one of the most important things from a habit perspective to try and help people to change, particularly when we're thinking about joy at work, because we set ourselves up to fail with inappropriate expectations every day and we beat ourselves up about our expectations of self and others every day also yeah so true and I'm just sitting here thinking about the expectations we put on others like when somebody has the title of being your boss or your leader we have an expectation of what they will be able to achieve and how they will do things that example of the person who's always going to be late you getting annoyed about it isn't going to change their behavior no but yeah. you getting annoyed about it is going to make you annoyed. The only person it's affecting is yourself. Yeah. So it's it's about recognizing that. And what you're saying is do something about that. Let it go. Change the way you think about it. Understand it. And again, it all comes back to, doesn't it, a bit more reflection, a bit more hit pause. And I think uh, just coming to it, I think we're going to call this episode hit pause because I think the, the, the feeling throughout it is if you just take a few seconds or a couple of minutes every day to think about these things, yeah. it will help you. And without a doubt, it's, it's, you know, it sounds like it can't be that simple. And it's not necessarily that simple, but that's your starting point. I think that's what we're, we're both trying to say here. It's not about these magnificent changes and suddenly I'm going to be reborn and truly joyful. <laughs> because life's tough, stuff gets thrown at us. Work, we have to spend a lot of our time doing stuff we don't necessarily want to do. But within that time, we can make intentional choices about how we want to be in that moment how we want to be around others and that that is our responsibility it's absolutely our, our responsibility and if we want to have purpose it's not about necessarily having the best job in the world that's a calling for you but how you might go about doing that so your joy might be your treatment of others how you engage with them because you can look yourself in the mirror at night or put your head on the pillow when you go to sleep knowing you had a good day because you lived your life in the way that you wanted too so that I know sounds really philosophical but actually we overcomplicate it by putting loads of stuff in there so yeah it down you know recognize what what matters to you and then make those choices to live a life in that way but it does involve practice and you will fail you will screw up and you'll have bad days but equally there are those good days and it's the balance mm. of those two that I think brings us richness and, and you can yeah. find true joy out of really tough circumstances and I do also think that when you say, you know, you will fail, you will get things wrong, you will. And being able to deal with that is important. But also, I think every time you fail, you have learned something about what you can do next. You've learned something about what didn't work, what did work, how you can make it happen. If you take the time again to hit the pause button, reflect on actually, why didn't that work? Did it not work because I didn't put enough energy into it? Did it not work because my expectations were too high? We can really think about it and hitting pause having a you know I always think the answers are already out there I can't remember the amount of times that someone's you know recommended you know you just take 10 deep breaths 
and actually that does work doesn't it and it's, it's old school and I'm sure it's like something that my grandmother would have said to me <laughs> take a few deep breaths but that is actually sometimes the best thing you can possibly do the simplest yeah. thing but, and anatomically you are changing or not not anatomically physiologically you are changing the way the system is operating by slowing it down yeah, the, the hormones that are released in that rush and you're dealing with all of those things simply by slowing down helps them to, to dissipate to help to kind of shift blood flow to help to re-regulate and kick in our, our nervous system in the way that we want it to so it's not just a theoretical thing there's good evidence behind it but it's it, again it's the intentionality of, of doing that um the, the only other part i was going to add um beth that i think is important and just something i find continually challenging is is where people don't give them themselves permission to have joy um oh yeah yeah too and particularly in the athlete world it's like if you're not suffering enough you're not training hard enough and there's a one particular sport I won't name it but the the mindset in that sport is if you're not on the edge of being injured or close then you're absolutely not training hard enough no we would have to do um, overnight watches where you had an athlete that had maybe a stress fracture and they would try and go out of their room at 3 a.m. to do a run or to do a training session because they were worried about missing out. You know, that those those people, the, their obsession has gone to the point that the, the joy has run out of it. And it, again, it will be, if I deliver this medal, then I can be joyful, I'll have earned it. So I think there's also, for some people, an internal crisis that actually they, they are not worthy of of joy or they're not worthy as an individual so that really goes back to that idea of being and for them to look at themselves what what matters what's important where do they see their value coming from who really matters to them in the world truly matters those people you would turn up on their doorstep in the middle of the night because they truly truly care about you versus trying to keep a whole bunch of other people happy so i just wanted to add that that last part in that i think mm. another habit to get into is that you are worthy of joy and everyone should have joy um obviously in moderation don't go crazy with it but <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis it is part of one of the fundamentals to our health and well-being it feeds that positive emotions and if we're not doing that for ourselves then it's very hard for it to us to contribute to others if we're not doing that yeah and i i totally agree and it's making me also reflect on over the past you know, nine months with the COVID situation with where people are at right now. I do feel a lot of people holding back their joy when they feel it because they see so much challenge and struggle and strife in other people. It's almost like they don't want to experience any joy themselves. So, so there's sometimes we limit our own joy because we don't want other people to feel bad who've kind of got it worse than us. Or, And mm. it's like actually you experiencing joy doesn't mean that somebody else um is you're, you're not um empathetic to their situation you still can be but you can also experience joy and use that joy to help you and maybe help other people and but you, it's very hard to help other people have joy or develop things when you don't have it or understand it yourself mm. and you're more fundamental than that i think some people um have a view of the world that if everybody else is okay then i'll take care of myself um, so they they will compromise health. They will they will compromise decisions around lifestyle, decisions to spend key time with with members of family, etc. Because they're they're trying to contribute to others and make sure others are are okay. And although that's a noble thing, over time we become depleted and our resources become depleted. 
and then we can edge into resentment or frustration or those things but it came back to us really not taking care of ourselves you know the first rule of first aid is don't become you know another patient or casualty check the circumstances Mm. so this intentionality around feeding and nourishing our system with joy just to keep it healthy so it's not going crazy but it's keeping it healthy means that we have much more resource and and internal energy to give to others so i I think too often we are compromising ourselves thinking we're doing long-term good but actually we end up suffering and as a consequence we we end up not in a great place and can't support others so it's not just a a hopeful thing I, i believe it's a fundamental thing to people's well-being these days Kate it's been amazing talking to you and I think we could probably talk for hours but I'm not sure everyone would want to listen to us for another four or five hours so I'm going to move on if you don't mind to some quick fire questions before we finish off right question one is for you personally what is always guaranteed to bring you some work joy um problems and problem solving uh yeah I I thing that gives me greatest joy is being able to get to the root of a problem so I have an immense curiosity um and problem solving definitely lights up my day brilliant um question two what book are you currently reading um it's not in here I think it's called um how emotions are made by I'm gonna say Lisa Friedman um, but it's a different view on we, we have this idea of each having uh, specific types of emotions like anger looks like this sadness looks like that and she has a different view so that's called the classical view of emotions this is one called the constructionist view so it's completely different turning everything on its head in terms of where emotions come from and they're not kind of predetermined but there's something that you curate internally so it's a totally different perspective and it's blowing my brain it sounds amazing. I think that's going to get on my order list. Thank you for that one. Um, question three is, in your life, what is the best or most useful piece of advice that someone's given to you that you always find yourself coming back to? You can only ever do your best. Um, that was my mentor, Steve Peters. Um, and the reasons that's so important, it can sound like a really simple statement, an obvious statement. But too often we, again, goes back to the expectation part that we have unrealistic expectations that we have to be the best or every time we go out and perform, we have to do our best. But the emphasis on on doing the best you can under the circumstances is is do what you can do and and try and best influence, but recognise things won't necessarily be perfect. You won't always get it right. But can you, again, look yourself in the mirror knowing you gave the best of yourself in that moment? The majority of us can answer yes to that. It doesn't mean that the next day can't be better. But it's been a huge thing that stops me beating myself up, myself up, but also something that I see in clients that when they really get that and they really value that statement, actually anxiety, fear, concern begins to dissipate. Because, you know, if you've gone out and done your best, then you've done your best. Such great advice. And you're right, it stops us focusing on the the best in a league table or the best compared to other people and getting that comparatitis disease where you're constantly comparing yourself to others and actually just focusing on, did I do my best today? Yeah, I did. And I'm pleased and I'm proud about that. Or no, I didn't. Why didn't I? What was going on? And what can I do about that? It's actually more useful, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Final uh, quickfire question is... 
what super practical bit of advice would you give our listeners that they could take away and do right now to help them build or cultivate or create some work joy in their life? Hmm, I'm caught between two. Um, you can do two if you want. Okay, I think the emphasis on the word choice um, and knowing that, that you have that. So I think paying attention to the possible choices that you have and being able to to separate those out gives you a chance to move to that plan or that activity that we talked about earlier. Um, and I think the, the second is to slow that system down. We've talked about pause a lot in this conversation, but that can be incredibly helpful just by slowing things down. Step away from the desk, take a walk, take a breath and give yourself a chance to actually fully process um, sometimes we need to process in the moment, but oftentimes we don't need to. Part of us tells we have to give an instant answer to the boss, but actually saying, can I check that detail and come back to you later in the day? Most people would go, okay. Yeah. So yeah, just slowing the system down. Amazing. And finally, where can people find out more about you, your work and what you do? Um, hmm. I, I would say you know, certainly go to my LinkedIn profile um, or um, contact me via the Moving Ahead website. Um, that's probably the best place at the moment. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on the WorkJoy Jam, Kate. It's been fantastic to have a conversation with you uh, and have a great day. You too. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for the company. Thank you for listening to that episode with Dr. Kate Goodger. I have to say, I'm keeping coming back to this one theme from the session today. And that was around this idea of hitting pause, giving ourselves even a few seconds to think before we act to understand where we're coming from, what our own behaviours are. I also am really reflecting on this idea of the difference between having joy and living with joy. So the version that you can buy joy, that you can get it, you can find it versus actually just being happy. Um, And that's one thing I'm going to take away and think about a little bit more about how does that work in my life. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We would love to hear what you're taking from it. We'd love you to go and listen to some of the other episodes, anything that might inspire you from them. You can connect with us on LinkedIn and on Instagram at Create Work Joy. And please do tag us in some of the actions you're taking. Tell us what's going on for you. And let us know if there's anyone else that you would like us to interview in our second season of the Work Joy Jam. Thank you and have a great day.